Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Everybody and welcome to the 213th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Emhauser, and you can find me on Twitter at Hawk Blogger. It is the start of the 2022 Seahawks season. Um, I am incredibly curious about what we're about to see in the days ahead. Uh, the season officially starts tomorrow night with our just favorite Rams team taking on the Bills. This actually should be a fantastic game. Uh, and we'll get to watch Bobby Wagner in Rams garb, which will be super interesting. Uh, but let's talk Seahawks Broncos. And in order to do that, usually works best if I have some people to talk to. And tonight you're joined by the queen of Seahawks podcast, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG. She just finished her tour through press row. She is still making time for us, which we're very grateful for and uh, really happy to see you here, Dana. How are you doing? I am good. And and I said this just a few minutes ago, Seahawks fans, if you're sick of me, I'm sorry, because I'm kind of all over the place this week. I think it'll calm down, but you know, the season is kicking off and it's, people are excited and they want to talk about it. So I think it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
In addition to Dana, we have the man who's on no other podcasts and has no life outside of this podcast. As because far they as won't, they won't accept me on any other podcasts. <laughs> they don't want to hear me on any other podcasts. It's possible. I, I'm very happy to have you on our podcast, despite what other people say. Uh, his name is Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB on Twitter. And dude, I'm glad. I know you've got a busy night, and you were able to make some time for us. Uh, appreciate appreciate you, dude. Yeah, I just uh, kind of want to echo the thoughts you said. Opening this up, like it just doesn't it doesn't feel real that football starting tomorrow. And with the you know the article that dropped from Brady Henderson this morning, there's just there's so many storing li- like that article that dropped this morning. I'm sure we'll get into it. Just yeah. really increased my hype for Monday's game. Um, <laughs> it was exciting already, but uh, week one is maybe the most exciting week I think I'll have all year. So I'm super excited <laughs> about this. Yeah, well, I have I have some some minor news to share once we get into a little bit more details on that game. Um, we'll, we'll wait for that then. But Mark Rogers is joining the show tonight. Uh, possibly. I, I can't promise. Stop um, it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't catfished him effectively enough yet. So, um, so we are going to start by just. I want to hear from both of you. I, I got to admit something. Like. It feels weird. It doesn't feel like a normal season. Like I, I don't. I feel. I can't quite put my finger on what, how I articulate it, but it feels weird. And like it starts with the game tomorrow, where Bobby Wagner is going to be playing for the Rams, and it's going to feel weird. And then the Sunday is going to come, and the Seahawks are still not going to have played. And then Monday is going to come, and it. I won't really be able to pregame in the same way. Anyone that's gone to like weekday games in Seattle, it's impossible downtown like to get down there. It's a freaking mess. So you basically, you can't really pregame that effectively. You kind of just got to go straight to the game. And then it's going to be Russell Wilson in another uniform. And there's going to be probably fans in the stands booing and cheering. And it's going to be weird. And, and I don't know. So like I am... I'm having feelings. I'm in my feelings about the start of the season. And I'm kind of curious, like, Evan, how would you describe how you're feeling heading into this, this, this game? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm nervous because I really want to win this game. This is, this is so weird to have Russell Wilson on, on the opposing sideline under a, under a different head coach, you know, playing for a different franchise. What's really kind of worked me up over the past couple of weeks, honestly, is just the shit talk that we're hearing from Broncos fans expecting us to just roll over and lose by 70. Um, Good chance we lose, but the, the, but the, but the confidence they have really fucking bothers me. And the tweets I've been seeing on Twitter, just acting like we're, you know, the fucking jets or something. It's just, they need to be knocked down a peg. And, and I hope that happens on Monday night. Does yeah. that answer your question? That's where my head's at. Yeah, I, I, wherever your head's at is fine. I, Dana, how about you? I mean, where are you on like this whole situation? I'm absolutely dreading this game. I, <laughs> when I saw that it was national TV, Monday night football, not only was I pissed we had to wait an extra day for the game, and that I was pissed that it was going to be national television, which means everyone will be watching, no distractions at all. I, I hate Seahawks national games just because I, I, I don't know. They give me extra stress. I, I'm, I wasn't going to watch it. 
I just had decided, my husband and I decided we weren't going to watch it. We we're just going to skip this game. There's one or two I usually skip a year because they give me too much anxiety. And this was going to be it this year. And now I can't because I have to do a game recap on Tuesday. So I'm really not very happy about that. But um, let me ask I'll, you, wait, before you, I have to interrupt, before you go off that, why were you going to skip it? Like, what were, what were, what is your concern about what you're going to experience by watching this game? I, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I'll be able to explain it properly, but there are certain games where I get so anxious about Seattle looking like a complete disaster that no it's true and it's not even I mean this has been going on for 10 years like I will never ever forget I missed the you mad bro game because I could not watch the Patriots come in and play I just it gives me such anxiety I can't eat I have to and I end up pacing around my living room I might seem calm and collected but that is it not with certain games other games I'm like oh who cares but some of them just really get me and so, so I, this is this is about like you've got a fear of a disaster for complete embarrassment and then yeah. i also worry about like how am i going to react to the fans reaction i'm very worried about i oh god i just don't want to look like a bunch of dicks on national television i'm not even kidding you like i can't like yeah. i just don't want because there's going to be so much hype around these game this game it, this is this is way bigger than Baker and the Browns. This is way bigger than all of that because the media has decided it is going to be. So I want to jump on that real quick. Did you guys see that this weekend's most expensive tickets yeah. are Seattle and Denver of all opening night games really? or all opening weekend yeah. games? Seahawks Broncos. It's like yeah. the average ticket price is like four forty seven, or maybe it was the minimum or something like that. It's crazy. That was the minimum. There you go. I would, I would bet that Seahawks tickets are going to be among the cheapest in the NFL the rest of the way. But I can, I guess for this one, I get it. Like, I got insanely good Chargers tickets with Josh. Yeah. We, we got, I, I uh, actually feel like, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's fine. You're fine. I was just going to say, like, tickets say. were so cheap. Like, we literally yeah. got like $80 tickets. Like, it was like 20th row up or something like mm -hmm. that. Ridiculous go to a Chargers game. It's, it's not expensive for sure, but this game, I feel like Seattle can win this game. I feel like if any team can come out of the gate and beat Russell Wilson, it's going to be Seattle. It makes just most sense the way I think we talked about that last week, but um, I'm just, I'm very anxious about it. I'm so glad it's week one. I'm so glad it's over. And then hopefully we do not have to talk about this again, which of course is ridiculous. Of course we'll talk about it more, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Exactly. No, I, I think that's one of the big myths is that, oh, we just got to get through this week one and then we'll be able to move on. Every week that Russell Wilson plays a game, every Seahawks fan is going to have a little bit of an eye on what's going on over there. Well, and, especially because of the draft pick, right? Yeah, but I think mostly because like there's a lot of priors like waiting to be cashed in. Like uh, there's folks that are dying to be able to say, see, Russell could never throw it over the middle. He's the problem and he can't carry a team and he like, he's a disaster and he's a limited core. He's Mr. Limited, right? Then there's the folks that are like, Pete Carroll is the worst. He kept this team from winning another Super Bowl. Look how Russell is just blossoming under a different first year head coach. All he needed was a better system. And like, I don't think there's any avoiding that. 
Like the only thing that could avoid that maybe a little bit is if they both just totally crash and burn. <laughs> right? If they both have the same fate, if like the Seahawks are bad and the Broncos are bad, then everyone's going to be kind of like eating it, right? Like it'll just be like, yeah, we suck. Um so yeah. How does that not cause you guys anxiety? Like just thinking about it makes me hot. Like I'm warm. Like, <laughs> it's like it stresses me out so much. A because I can't just be a fan in a town that the team isn't in and just ignore it and move on. I get to talk about it for the whole week after, and every time yeah. I go to work, and every time we do this, it's just it's it stresses me out. Well, and that's I why I don't think. I could be like, I used to think, oh, sports radio would be fun to get into. Like I could imagine maybe transitioning into that career and talking sports all day. And then it's like 20 years of the Mariners not making playoffs and having to talk about them every day. That's rough. Like I'm not a huge hockey fan having to talk about the Kraken. I would be happy to talk about the storm, take a moment and just say congratulations to Sue Bird on an amazing career, uh, represented Seattle amazingly well. Uh, we're certainly uh, fans of her on, on this pod. Um, but yeah, like I kind of pick my, my moments where I'm ready to invest my, my emotional health in this and at times that I protect myself and I could not talk about it all the time, but I don't know. like. I kind of geek out on just the matchups. I, I mean, I'm guessing this is not where the, either of your heads are. Evan, I'm guessing you want us to dive into that article from Brady and maybe you too. And we could talk about that. For me, that a lot of that's like old news. I am like, I am super interested in like how this game is going to play out. Like actually talk about real football, real things that are in front of us. And like, I want to like dissect a little bit, like, is it just as simple as that Russell Wilson is their quarterback and that's why everyone just assumes that they're going to roll and Geno Smith's our quarterback and that's why we're going to lose? Or is it like beyond that? Because when I started like, when I wrote my tale of the tape today and I was looking at the Broncos defensive line and their pass rush and I was looking at their secondary and their coverage and I was looking at their DVOA rankings and I was looking at their PFF rankings and I was looking at all these other things. And I was looking at their offensive line. I was looking at the receivers. I'm like, really? This is the team that everyone's like hyped about? I, I got questions. That's what I want to talk about. But like, let me you know. know. My, you know what my concern is heading into this weekend? Yeah. It's, it's our cornerback situation. All right. Say why. Michael Jackson, Tariq Woolen, you know, are both starters for us in week one. You know, rookies untested, or is it? Is it? Is it TBD, Dana? I'm not. Yeah, you... they said Jones still might make it. Okay. Yeah. Regardless, that concerns me. Um, Russell could really take advantage of that. The Broncos' offensive line is really good. I think they were like top five and five or six in pass pro last year, maybe seven. Um, if Russell has time he could really pick apart those corners and, and, you know, maybe they end up being day one solid contributors. I just think there's a question mark there and it's a, it's a potential uh, attack vector for them on, on Sunday or on Monday. If you're a Broncos coach or fan, that's certainly where you're looking. Uh, I, I would just offer one. 
I was surprised how much of the, how many of the beat reporters were talking about that depth chart, which literally at the top emblazoned said unofficial depth chart. But they talk every year this comes out and every year the coaches say, you know, the PR, the PR department creates that depth chart. It is not from the coaches and it is never right. It's never right. So I don't understand why it got so much conversation when what reality is, is like, who's on the field? Sidney Jones has been a starter. He has been practicing since last week. So my expectation is Sidney Jones is good to go. And I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Like, but people also may not remember is because it's a Monday game and not a Sunday game, everything's pushed out one day. So tomorrow will be the press conference tomorrow for the, for Pete tomorrow will be the, the injury report starts getting published and it'll be Saturday will be the final injury report. And that's what we'll know. I do not expect Artie Burns to play. Like he, I didn't realize until recently that he re-injured his groin in the Dallas game. That's a big deal. Like, I mean, these were Sidney Jones and Artie Burns were your veteran starters at corner and most likely you're going to have either a rookie in Tariq Woolen or you're going to have Mike Jackson starting opposite Sidney Jones. That's the most likely outcome. Um, I'm, I'm not upset about that. Like, I, I, I think you're right. It could be exploited. It could also, like, Tariq Woolen has shown some sticky fingers. He may just make them regret going after him. So trial by fire. Get the rookie in there. Let's see what we got. Do you think um, Seattle will be able to generate pressure in this game? enough to cause disruption so have you guys had a chance to look at their offensive line at all the the broncos offensive line i haven't followed what they've done in the off season let me put it that way yeah that's fine i'm just asking danny you nodded your head um a little bit mm -hmm. yeah yeah so like they've got one i think plus offensive lineman who is garrett bowles um their left tackle He's not an all pro kind of guy. He's a, he's a good left tackle. Like he's a good player. He's not fantastic. Um, they've got uh, a center who's like a decent pass protector. They've gotten like, they've got Quinn Miners who, you know, was uh, I think a rookie recently. Like he's a relatively young guy playing guard and they got another guy at guard. Like they're all just okay. They're above average, but none of them are none of them are, are just unbeatable type of players. And I feel like the Seahawks have a lot of different ways they can attack an offensive line. They have Daryl Taylor, who I think is a good pass rusher, could be a great one. We don't know what, how Nuosu uh, is gonna be used, but he was a pretty effective pass rusher to end last season. We've got Boye Mafe who showed that he has potential. We've got Shelby Harris, who is the Broncos best interior pass rusher for the last few years. And two years ago, that guy was like an 89 grade as an interior pass rusher for the Broncos. There's a reason that Broncos fans were sad that he went. He had seven sacks last year. You've got your favorite boy, Quentin Jefferson, rotating in there. Uh, so, and then you've got Jamal Adams, who we don't know how they're going to use him, but he's been a blitzer before. I feel like the Seahawks have a lot of ways to attack from a pass rush perspective, and they're coming from different places than they've come before. I think that's a sneaky place that the Seahawks could actually surprise and actually put more pressure on Russell Wilson than uh, people are expecting. And we have to remember too, I think it's important that uh, of any defense, 
they're going to know exactly what to look for in Russ. Russ has tells. We all know that. That's why so many defensive lines have figured him out. And they know those better than anybody. And so I think that what's going to be interesting is it's not like we're getting a brand new Russell Wilson. He's going to do the same type of things that he has done for 10 years here which is what he's good at. Good for him. Do it. I, that's no shade to him. But what that is, is that actually gives the defense an advantage, I believe, especially when they know that he's going to try and spin out and make the super move or whatever. They know where he goes. They know how to follow him. Um, and can I say this too, for the secondary? Yeah, they're young, but I think that, <laughs> I think that Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams are dying to make their mark against Russell. I don't know why I get that feeling. It's not like there's ever been bad blood between any of them. I just get that feeling that they want to take over that spotlight. Um, and so I think that they, while the, the cornerbacks are young, they're going to have some babysitters back there. And that could be good or bad, depending on how they use Jamal Adams. But if you look at the, the Denver wide receiver group, it's nothing to shake a stick at they're pretty good. You know, I really liked Jerry Judy coming out of the draft. Like I really wanted him in Seattle. I was real disappointed about that. KJ Hamler, you know, Courtney Sutton, um, Sutton. So I think that um, it's not as big of a mismatch. Yes. The cornerbacks will be targeted. Russell's going to know that's the weakness. He's known that for a couple of years. I just think that, that that line is actually going to be more helpful than we expect just simply because they know him so well. Do you, you, you mentioned about like, we know Russell, Evan, are you expecting Russell to like, look just like he's looked before? Are you looking like, as someone who's been like, you've been pretty firmly in his camp and have been firm, pretty firmly in the camp that the coaches have been holding him back. What are you expecting him to look different? And if so, how are you expecting him to look different? My cop-out answer is I have no idea. And it's what makes me so fucking excited for this game. Because I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea if he's going to, you know, target the middle like like we've been complaining for years. I have no idea if he's going to sit in the pocket and not scurry under unnecessary pressure. I have no idea. And I have, it's kind of what we've been talking about. It's like there's so many narratives at play here that it's, I'm just really excited. I have no idea is the answer. What would, what would lead, like if you saw him do X or Y or Z would like confirm something for you? Like Let if me, you saw, like what, what would you, what would convince you of something that like, okay, yeah, we were right. The coaches were let, the problem. Well, let me start off by saying, if he starts throwing successful screen passes, I'm going to be very angry. Okay. So I'm going to be very upset. Um, but I, I'd say if he targets the middle aggressively and he hangs in the pocket well and just delivers darts, I, and plays a full game, doesn't start slow. That's one of the biggest critiques over Russell that we've had over his career that, you know, he starts slow. The offense starts slow. He doesn't show up till the fourth quarter. I think a complete full game from him and, and the things I just mentioned would, would really confirm that for me. How about for you, Dana? Like what? What would you, what would like confirm perspectives, not necessarily yours, but just like, what would help you decide whether, yep, maybe Russell had a lot of points here and he, he was held back versus what are some things you could see that'd be like, yep, Russell's who the coaches thought he was and he needed help. I think if all of a sudden we see him turn into a, a Tom Brady pocket passer, like that would be just bizarre to me, right? Like it, it, it would go, it, 
but I can't wrap my brain around that because why wouldn't they have tried that over 10 years? And so maybe that is the problem. Maybe we need to say that, but I think that if the Broncos come out run heavy and all of a sudden they're just running the damn ball all the time, I will lose my mind because that's exactly what Russell hated here. But I think that I would be much like Evan. I think if all of a sudden he started throwing across the middle, which how can you do that with Puna Ford and Al Woods in your face? I mean, that'll be really interesting for him. Um, and, and, but I think that if all of a sudden we start seeing those different kind of passes and not the constant moonballing, Here's the thing though, you guys, I pay a lot of attention to Broncos Twitter because I cover that. And all they talk about is he throws the prettiest long ball. Duh, for 10 years, we've seen that. So I will say that um, there's a certain uh, reporter in Denver who gets real mad when you say Russell can't throw across the middle. He gets real worked up. He's like, I see him do it all the time in practice. Well, that's Mike Cleese. I'm sorry, what? The Mike Cleese? I don't it think is it not. is. No. I know who she's okay, talking about. That's a douche. Yeah. But yeah. What? I was just going to emphasize one thing you're saying, Dana. It's like okay. one of one of the biggest critiques many people have had, including myself, is he doesn't take the easy read. It's always right. home run or nothing. And if he yep. starts taking the easy reads, you know, makes the correct decisions, that will be that will be hurtful to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that we have to remember too, though, is as much as this defense knows Russell, Russell knows this defense. And so I think that, well, at least what he was, I mean, he doesn't know what the new things that they have put in, but um, he's going to want to win this so bad. He is going to want to get one over on Pete Carroll. And so we know when, when Russell decides something, a lot of times that happens. So I think it'll be really interesting to see that push pull to be quite honest with you, I think at the end of this game, someone's going to win the game, but I don't know that either Russ or Pete will have won anything. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I fall because we've seen Russ start seasons for six weeks, five weeks, looking like the MVP, and then not being able to figure it out after that. So I don't I don't think that in one game all that will be decided. Certainly there'll be a lot of people trying to make that case. Uh, yeah. Or the but, opposite too. If sometimes remember there was a five years back, they started the season like crap. It was so annoying. Like they couldn't get it together even when the LOB was still there. And so it's, we're not going to know until the season's over. Well, I mean, this is a game that could feature a lot of sacks. Russell Wilson's been sacked more than almost any quarterback, you know, maybe more than any other quarterback since he's been in the league. For people that don't know or continue to try to argue against it, sacks are generally a quarterback stat. No matter what team they go to and what line they go to, usually sacks stay um, with with quarterbacks as they move from coaches, from players, from from teams, from from lines. Uh, Geno Smith gets sacked more than Russell probably. Like he is going to be infuriating in that way, where he's going to hold onto the ball and take awful sacks that we've seen in preseason, we've seen last year. So I do think there's going to be a fair amount of pressure or at least a number of sacks in this game. And I think one of the like least talks of, talked about parts of this game is Rashad Penny. Like we're all talking about Russell Wilson and what he's going to look like, but if Rashad Penny looks anything like, if they're able to run the ball anything close to the way they were able to close out last season, there's no way the Broncos are, are winning this game by double digits. Like that won't happen. And I don't know, like I, 
I don't see big hosses in the middle of that Broncos defensive line that are ready to stop the run. They weren't great at stopping the run last year. I don't know that they did anything to improve that this year. And I think the Seahawks offensive line potentially is better than it was last year, especially at running the ball. So um, I think that's a big, a huge, huge factor in this game. The other thing that's a huge factor is like everyone's talking about Russ throwing the ball. Gino hasn't thrown a pass to DK Metcalf in preseason. We have not seen that. We also know that DK's best, two of his best three games came when Gino was quarterback last year. We saw in the Denver and the Dallas game when Tyler Lockett was in there, he and, and Gino looked pretty darn comfortable. It looked very different than when he was throwing to like Derek Young and Bo Melton. No offense, Dana. I know you're a big Bo Melton fan, but I, I think that there's potential there where like if I look, if, if you ask me which weapons do what I want, Denver's weapons or the Seahawks offensive weapons, there is no question 10 times out of 10, I am picking the Seahawks weapons. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett over Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Noah Fant, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson over who at tight end? Uh, Rashad Penny, we won't have Ken Walker, but maybe the backup running backs questionable, but certainly the, 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 the first string running back, I would take over Melvin Gordon, who's, you know, old and, and, you know, he's okay. So I don't know. I, I think the only real question is whether the Seahawks are going to be able to run well and whether Geno Smith can like be competent. I don't think he has to be great. I just think he has to be competent. Um, and I'll, I don't know. I, if you're asking me to bet between whether the Seahawks knowing more about Russell is going to hurt him versus Russell knowing more about them is going to hurt us. I, I think, I think Russell is going to have to make throws he doesn't normally like to make. And if he doesn't, if the, if the Seahawks defense doesn't do that, then it'll be inexcusable. I will be furious post game and into next week. Cause like they should know, they should know what he's going to try to do. So I, yeah. I've got an interesting question for the both of you. What is the maximum number of offensive turnovers Seattle can have in this game and still win it? Maximum number of turnovers. So both, you know, fumbling and interceptions. How that badly do they need to have? That the, that, Seahawks, that the Seahawks can have? Danny, you first. Two. I think if you hit that third one, that's that's going to be kind of a signal to the end. Two, you kind of expect. You expect Gino to get picked off once because that's what he does. I wouldn't be surprised if the running backs beginning of the year, especially if they, you know, put, I don't think Kenneth Walker's going to play, but, yeah. you know, maybe DJ Dallas or even Rashad Penny, just the nerves of it. Um, if they cough one up, but I think if you get to three, I think that that would be, that would be a sign of this is not going to happen. I will answer your question and add to it. I will say that the magic number is, um, is two, and that is turnovers plus missed field goals. Cannot have more than that. I'm dead serious. Like, okay, Evan, I we cannot God. have Jason Myers bullshit in this game. If he fucking loses this game, Evan, <laughs> I'm flying to Arizona and I'm kicking your ass. Could you imagine? Game is on the line. 10 seconds to go. Jason Myers, 28-yard field goal, shanks it left. I, I think people would kill me. I, 
one has to imagine like that is burned into my brain as like he can miss three field goals in this game and we lose by six points Oh my God. I have to say this though, Evan, in your defense, the other night on a prediction show, I predicted that Seattle was going to win on a last second field goal from Jason Myers. And we were all going to have to shut the hell up about him for the rest of the season. Oh, I would never <laughs> stop talking shit. But to, to answer my own question, I, I think it's, I'm more aggressive than, than both of you. I think it's got to be one or less. I think the margins are that slim. I really do. If Gino... If Gino tries to play more aggressive than the than the game manager type role, it could get concerning and out of hand quick. I, I can see that. I uh, I gotta say, when I went through the matchups in this game, and like I, I had such, I had it wrong about the Broncos. I think I just thought the Broncos' defense was a lot better than it looks like it is. And they were number two in the NFL in points allowed yet last year. So like, that's, the, that's a big number and it's impressive. I thought Pat Sertain was like really good at corner. He was burned a fair amount. Like their, their other safety, Justin Simmons is a good safety. Their other one, Kareem Jackson is not. Ronald Darby is not a great cornerback. And DK's already destroyed Darby multiple times in Philly. I think that what we saw last year with the Broncos defense, they had Von Miller. They, they got rid of Von Miller. They've now replaced him with Randy Gregory, who had like six sacks last year and is coming off injury. I don't think Randy Gregory is clearly an upgrade over Von Miller. You replace Shelby Harris with DJ Jones in the middle. Uh, I think that's at best a push. I, I got questions about this team, and I've gone as far as I went back into our prediction uh, spreadsheet I change this to a win. I think the Seahawks are going to win this game. I think they got the wrong team favored. I think the Seahawks are going to win this game. By how much? That I don't know. I mean, I, the number that comes into my head is like seven to ten. Holy God. wow! So, yeah. so Seattle's defense smothers the Denver offense, basically. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, we usually do predictions at the end. I know Evan's going to have to leave a little bit early. I've got the Seahawks probably around 24-17 in this game. Oh, I'm an idiot. I thought you were saying 10-7 to Seahawks. I was like, wow. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Broncos are not scoring. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that's not how I expected to feel. I originally predicted this as a loss, but... This to me has a lot of the makings of a fan fueled, press fueled, mm. headline fueled betting line and just a lot of lazy expectations. And all that has, to, I mean, honestly, the only thing that has to be different than what people are expecting is Geno Smith. If Geno Smith is just decent, I think the Seahawks win this game. I really do. If he's if he's a disaster, then they won't be able to win it. I I, I think it, it's it's going to be that simple, and I I think that Russell will do some things, but I have a feeling that I have a feeling it might be tougher, and I have a feeling there might be some turnovers. I have a feeling there might be some interceptions in this game for Seattle. I, I think there could be some mistakes. People are I think underestimating Russell playing with a new new set of players. 
did not play preseason with them, did not play real games. This is his first time doing that with a new offensive coordinator. Yes, there's supposed to be plays that he's comfortable with, but with new players, I, I think there's potential for this to be one of his shakier starts. We've seen it with Russell. We've seen the first games of the year where it's like, oh my God, why is this happening? I think this could be one of those games. I have a critical question. Yeah. For Monday. What is the weather forecast? Because I've always been a proponent of never making Lumen Field a dome. I love the elements, of course, <laughs> especially over the past decade. Do we know if it's going to rain? What's it looking like? It's going to be 76 degrees. Stop it. Are you, are you fucking with me? <laughs> nope. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> well, uh, they're milling it in. Seahawks are losing by 50. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> Here's one thing I think that we haven't mentioned yet, and I think it actually deserves to be mentioned in the equation of balance between these two sides is the crowd. Now, the one thing about Russell Wilson is he's always been on the positive end of the Seahawks crowd. And I have seen over and over these huge arguments of, do we boo him? Do we not? Uh, and everyone's like, no, you cheer when he's warming up. And the minute that game starts, you boo. That he is now your enemy. Um, and I really think that the crowd is going to be deafening. And I think that that will just bolster Seattle. I'm not, I don't know how much it'll bother Russ. He's been in other loud stadiums and it hasn't seemed to shake him too much. Um, so I'm not so worried about that. I, I just really think that's going to bolster the confidence and, and that get that energy of the Seahawks team up too. So I do think that that is a factor. If this game were being played in Denver, forget it. I would tell you there's no way oh. in hell Seattle's been in this game. But I think be, with the things we've talked about, plus it being at home, I think that, that that can do nothing but but help. Sorry, somebody in chat just made me laugh. <laughs> it, it's awful. Everyone's like, we gotta play future in the in the pregame. <laughs> yes, do it, do it. Like it's not because I like want bad for Russell. Like, I mean I do from a performance standpoint, but like I, I do love next level trolling. Like, I mean and, and like we should, we get to do that to Russell because he was here and left, you know, like uh, the Broncos fans and Broncos social media accounts that are like trolling Pete Carroll as if he, they're on his mind at all. Like <laughs> only interactions that the Seahawks have had with or the Broncos have had with Pete Carroll is them whooping their ass 43 to eight in the Super Bowl and then beating them again the next year after they like made a huge deal about it. So like. I don't get that. Where that? Where's that swagger coming from? Who is uh, raising the twelfth man flag? Do we know? Future? No, I have no idea. It's not Doug Baldwin or anything. <laughs> okay, Richard Sherman. Make that call. Make that oh my call. God. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Well, Evan, I know you're going to be running here in a second. Who do you have winning this game? What's your score? I got to remain consistent to my prediction, right? You do I, whatever I, you want. You're I not gotta, almost anything you do in your life. That's fair. That's a good point. Um, I'm going to go Broncos, Seahawks, 31 to 24. It's, it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Mm. But I, 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 gonna do, go, I thought you were going to go bigger. I, I, I thought so initially. I, I think Seattle – plays this game very competitively. A lot of people saying Golden Tate will be crazy. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, Dana. 
Um, I I picked that the Seahawks are going to win this game, and I'm going to stick to what I said about Jason Myers. I think it's going to be 24-21, Seattle. I think Jason, I don't know why. I don't, it probably, I mean, I'm terrible at these predictions as it is, except for when I make you point out that I get over right because sometimes I do. But, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be like 24-21. It's going to be a three-point spread at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I um I am very I'm very good. Thanks, Evan. I'm really eager to like what's the part of the Seahawks team that you are most eager to see unveiled on Monday night? Like we haven't seen like this offense with Geno Smith, with you know, this offensive line, with a healthy DS gridge. Like we haven't seen that. We haven't seen this defense with these new defensive coordinators and these new corners and this new scheme. Uh, what, what are you most, like this pass rush? We just don't know like what this is going to look like. What are you most eager to see unveiled? Well, it's funny because normally, you know, I love defense. And so I'm dying to see Quandre and Jamal out there with some of these younger guys and see them that way. But honest to God, I want to see this offensive line with Rashad Penny running behind it. I, I want to see how that's working. And I want to see how Gino factors into that. I, I wish Walker was playing because I want to see him catching and, you know, more of what we saw in preseason, but I cannot wait to see this line and how different it is. And if nothing else, that is going to rub us the wrong way because it's such a good line, but I really want to see it with, not that we didn't see the real run game for lack of a better word. I'm just excited to see Penny behind it and see if he can even do you know, even two thirds of what he did last year would be just amazing. Yeah. I am going to lose my shit if we see Penny House like a run in the first quarter. Like, God, please. That'd be great. Be amazing. I mean, I think everybody, everybody for good reason is assuming that was just a, a blip. It was this great little stretch at the end of a meaningless season, probably like, this guy gets injured all the time. And that's, I think that is a completely fair, completely logical perspective to have. I got to say, Dana, like I'm as, uh, I like to think I'm pretty realistic about stuff and I don't get too far one direction or the other. Sometimes I do for fun, but for the most part, I'm pretty even keeled. What Rashad Penny did last year was repeatable over multiple games, over multiple quarters against multiple defenses. Um, he led the NFL in yards per carry. He now, from a career perspective, if you look at, over the course of his career, the one thing he's been able to consistently do is house runs. Like he has always had, he's like a near six yard a carry career runner at this point. So this isn't just one set of things. The only thing that he hasn't been able to do is stay healthy. And so if he's healthy and we saw Abraham Lucas do things in the preseason that no Seahawk lineman, not even Dwayne Brown, was doing last year in the run game. Like, I'm not saying he's as good of a player as Dwayne Brown or as good a run blocker, but in every single preseason game, Abraham Lucas was pancaking guys, right? So you put those two things together, I don't think it's unrealistic to think Rashad Penny might, might be that good. It's possible. I, I don't even think it's that big of a jump. And and honestly, with the as deep as this running back room is now, I, God forbid he gets hurt. But if he does get hurt, it's not the end of the world. 
you know, and we kind of had that with him and Chris Carson until they pulled him out and it was like, what are you going to do then? But I just really feel like, and the, the diversity, Homer in the preseason, as much as we like to, you know, give him a bad time, he showed some great, um, okay, great's not the, some good improvement in some areas that he had struggled with before. And I think that's because of the game plan for the offense before couldn't always include him from the way he was using his strengths. And I am talking about going across the middle, but that's, it's not a dig on rust. It's just different. Right. And so I think that if we can get 10 or 12 games of last year's Rashad Penny, Oh man, insane, right. Insane. And it's going to be a lot of fun and it'll be fun for me. And I know not everyone agrees with this. It'll be fun for me to see Pete, with some of that weight off his shoulder that had been there the last couple of years, trying to make this offense work the way Russ wanted it to and, and being able to run it the way he and Shane Waldron want to run it. And I think that that will be really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talked about like Andy Dickerson has the potential to be one of the best gets for the Seahawks. Like everyone talks about Waldron and Desai and all these other places, people, but that might be one of the best, biggest gets they got. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. On the flip side, Dan, and then we'll, we'll take some patron questions. Yeah, you bet. What are you most bracing for from like, oh gosh, is this going to work out for the Seahawks team? Is this going to just be, we're going to turn this game on and this part of the team is just going to be brutal. What What's the part that you're most concerned about? Um. I mean, outside of the quarterback play and the inconsistency there, I, I'm really hoping, like you said, that Gino just goes into full game management mode and, and plays it that way. And I'm, and I'm hoping he does that because if he does that, to be honest with you, even if they get rid of him next year, which they will for a new quarterback, he could still go make some money in this league somewhere else. So I, I hope that for him, that he is consistent enough that he won't just be done when they replace him as quarterback. Um, but I, I will admit that I'm I'm kind of with what Evan said at the beginning of the, the podcast. The cornerback situation makes me really nervous. Um, and that is, God that's Russ's strength, right? Like he can just throw down those sides and if they get turned around or get beaten and um, then that will be killer to have one of those moon balls just drop right in the guys, you know, between the numbers and just right into the end zone. That will just be a demolisher to this fan base. And so that makes me really nervous. Um, I'm not worried about the safety play. I think, come on, Quandre, I want my pick six. This would be the perfect game for that. I do worry about those. I, and I call rookies babies. I worry about the babies on the corner. Yeah. I don't know if I can narrow it down as much as you have. Like defense is where I would just start. I am, I am bracing for this defense to not be, to be bad. Which like, is crazy because they weren't bad last year. So why would they be bad this year? They've improved. It's weird. I, I know people are saying it's the same scheme. I think it's, I think it's, there's some differences in terms of how they're playing coverages and what they're asking. They've got some different players. I think that, you know, you know, my opinion on Cody Barton, I think this is one game where the middle might not be as threatened because of how Russell has typically been. So maybe you get away a little bit more and they don't really have Tim Patrick, like one of their slot receivers, he's out. And the, like, so maybe the middle and the linebackers don't get exploited as much. But I am, I am like 
racing for seeing guys open by a few yards and just like uh just get off the field guys get off the field like one of the things let's talk we talk about russell one of his consistent from for a long time ago weaknesses has been third down play and he has been like one of the best rated quarterbacks overall one of the lowest at least one of the mid to lower third down quarterbacks uh, in the league Seahawks get to third and six third and seven the Seahawks defense has been so frustrating to watch a lot of times they let people get away with third and 12 conversions third and 15 you're like what's going on so that's going to be I think a key thing is third downs in this in this and I just it will break me to see the Seahawks like not be able to get off the field um, defensively that plus Gino those are the things like I'm like "Mm, how's that going to look I, I think that even if that happens in this game, even if you get to that point in this game and the defense breaks you because of that, I think once you're removed from this game, you'll be able to see the learning in it, especially from the younger guys and realize this was their first game. Yes, it has to be against the, you know, Russell Wilson and the Broncos, but once you can remove that a little bit, you'll be able to look at it and say, oh, well, there's improvement here, improvement there. But it's going to be tough to watch, which is exactly why I didn't want to watch this game, because it's going to be tough to watch in the moment. I'm hoping, though, if nothing else, we'll be able to see the improvement or be able to. The other thing's exciting is to see how these schemes actually look, because, of course, we've seen nothing in preseason. They've, you know, had five plays they played over and over and over again. Right. Like we didn't see anything. So that will be exciting. Um we just have to remind ourselves that yes, there's going to be growing pains in this and it sucks that we get to show the world against Russell what they are, but that's what it'll be. At the same time, Denver's going to be in the same situation. I think they have seven players on IR already. Now, not all of them were top tier players, but that, you know, impacts your depth to a certain extent. And, and they've had a lot of players removed that way. So um, they have had a bit of an injury bug issue, but I do think that if we can keep our minds right, the best we can, we'll be able to just remember it's one game of 17. Yeah. Maybe. I yeah. I mean, it's, it's not though. You know, it's not one game. No, I know it's not. This one, like. Be positive, damn it. <laughs> I, I, may, I may not pick the Seahawks to win another game. Who knows? But if they win this game, I'm sure I will change my tune. But yeah, this, this one matters in a different way. It just does. Um, but let's do this. Let's take some patron questions. If you can take a look there and we will answer some of those. Uh, and then if other folks in the chat have some questions, we can look at those this week as well. Well, um, uh, we kind of got the question box out a little late t- today. So yep. sorry about that, guys. Um, so we just have two questions for this. So the first one's from Jesse Green. He says, there was a consensus in the prediction show that our offense will produce less points this year. But does anyone think that the offense will produce more sustained drives when they move back to peat ball, more first downs, more time on the field than off? Uh, so I think the question's basically, hey, the Seahawks scored some points last year, but they didn't sustain drives. They left the defense on the field for long stretches of time and the defense suffered as a result. Do we think that's going to be different? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well, Dana. Mm-hmm. What we understand of what Pete and this, a lot of the Seahawks wanted to do is get back to his core philosophy about 
uh, shortening the game by controlling the ball, running the ball, getting to third manageable, having longer drives and explosive passes, and then, you know, um, keeping, keeping the score low on, on defense as well. And what that's added up to generally for Pete is a lot of close games. And then he kind of depends on his, his offense to kind of win it in the, in the end. So I do think that this offense is going to stay on the field more. The biggest risk there is that, (laughs) I mean, the most negative perspective would be the offensive line is too young. They're actually ineffective. They get penalties and you're behind the change. You've got Geno Smith getting sacks. They're not as good running the ball. And we have a lot of three and outs. That's possible. That's possible. I don't expect that to be the case, but that's possible. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, well, this question brings me back to something I actually read um, in Brady's article. And it is something that I had thought, but I didn't know that it was thought kind of widely. And now he seems to confirm that is that a lot of times when the offense could not get that third down, it was a lot to do with, like you said earlier, Russ not taking the obvious completion. Do you know what I mean? And not finding that obvious route that he wanted to go for the big play. And that was because he was playing for MVP. I hadn't thought, I had thought about it, but I was like, no, that's not right. But I I think that's probably true. I think we're going to see a lot more, you know, dink and dunk as like people like to say, and a lot more running. And so if nothing else, that takes time off the clock really. And that's, so I think that you will see more of that. Um, As long as Gino stays to the script. And I guess we kind of have to wait and see how he feels he's being used in this one. Um, I, I don't know. So I'm hoping so. I, I, I do think that's probably the case. Once again, we get to see what Shane Walden really wanted for this offense. And I think that that will be a big part of that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. What's our other patron question? All right. The other one is from PMM422. I don't know. <laughs> Great. Um, why did Sean decide, decide to come here when he doesn't even have a clearly defined role? Do you suppose he was promised the DC job when Clint Hurt takes over as head coach? Oh, interesting. I believe it's kind of the other way around. I think uh, Desai was given an assistant head coach title, I believe. Uh, I have to go back and double check. I think that there's reason to think he would be more in line to take take that head coaching position, depending on how things go. And I think his position is relatively clearly defined. He is responsible for the secondary and coverages. And so you know, he and Carl Scott, uh, the other new hire back there, I think he's the defensive back coach. So that was Desai's specialty and, and where he was. I think he's bringing that. Clint Hurt is more focused on the defensive line and the front seven. And the idea is that they combine to have basically everyone on Vic Fangio's staff um, under one roof other than Vic Fangio. I, I agree. I think I've said that since the day they hired Desai said we have our next head coach in the building and his name is Desai. So I, I, I really think that that's um, why he was brought in. I think that I, I'm sure they couldn't have promised him that, that just, I mean, they maybe wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but I don't think that they could actually promise it to him. But I, I do think that he's in that building for a reason. And I don't know, I could be wrong, but I don't really see from what I know. And I know this much about Clint Hurt. I, I don't really see him as like a, wanting to be a head coach. He just wants to knock heads together on the defense. But I mean, I could be wrong for sure. But and so I I get the feeling much like you, it's kind of more the other way around. I have a question for you about that article as we we uh, take a few more. But uh, 
Before I do, good point to remind folks, if you haven't already, give the show a like. Appreciate that. Appreciate you tuning in. Click subscribe, get added to whenever we go live, you'll get notified. Click the bell to get notified. And go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up, get immediate access to the Slack channel and the community that we've got growing there. Conversation continues. It's a really good group. A lot of really thoughtful discussions, a lot of good Seahawks news. It's a great way to stay on top of things without some of the Twitter nastiness that you honestly see there. So uh, highly recommend it. And as I think everybody knows, proceeds go to a very good cause. So uh, be happy to have you join up. Now's a good time. So my question for you, Dana, is you, you mentioned the, the Brady Henderson article. We've gone this long without going into too much depth on it. And you mentioned part of what came out in that article was a little bit more transparency about how important MVP was to Russ. And I'm interested in your interpretation because when I was reading that article, I left feeling like, wow, he's kind of bold, like for, for that to be such an important aspect of how he's deciding what he wants is whether it's going to help him win the MVP. I don't think to me as a fan, that wasn't a good look. Like it wasn't about what's the best thing, best way to win, best way for the team. I think maybe in his mind, he equates the two, but it felt like it may come across wrong as like this guy is more about accolades and and credit and fame than he is about the team. Um, was that just me or I'm curious if you, if you if that stood out to you at all in the article? Oh, it absolutely did. And to be quite honest with you, and this is nothing against Brady, when I started reading it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a piece destroying John Snyder. I, I really figured that's where the piece was going. Um, and it wasn't. I thought it was actually a very well-balanced article where, you know, he said, this is what he wanted. This is what he wanted. He played his hand. He played his hand. And this is where they ended up. And I, I I've actually found that really refreshing. Um, I don't know that a lot of new information came out in that, but the, the parts that did were exactly what you mentioned that Russ, and I said this before, Russ wants to be the best that's ever played. He doesn't want to play for the best team. He doesn't want to win the most Super Bowls. He's not trying to break Brady's record. He wants to be the best. And he's willing to do whatever needs to be done to make that happen for himself. He works very hard on himself, but also for his career. And that came across very clearly in this article. Do I fault him for it? Absolutely not. I don't. I mean, if that's, if that's your goal, um, then um, we, you have to focus on that. I just don't think, and I made this point in our, our, our chat earlier today. I think the one thing, I had this great conversation about comparing the two teams, 11 and 22 yesterday. And I think one of the things that John and Pete have learned over this time is that while you can welcome all these super egos into your locker room, they're harder to manage. And I think over time they have realized that they need to really focus on who is team driven which I really think Bobby Wagner was super team driven. If you want an example, loved that about him and people who weren't team driven. And I think we're seeing at least over the last three to four years, Russ was not really team driven. And I don't think that's a shock to anybody. I think that that's just came across very clearly in this article. Yeah. It, 
And the part of it that's interesting to me is I got the sense that there was like, there's no hiding that or hesitation about putting that out there. I think they feel very justified, Mark Rogers, Russell Wilson, his camp in that perspective. And I think people that are more Russell Wilson fans than they are Seahawks fans also probably were like, yeah, that makes sense. For me as someone who's absolutely a Seahawks fan more than any individual coach, player, owner, whatever, um, it left a bit bad taste in my mouth a little bit of like, I wish, you know, partly just because I, I like to think best of people, or at least what, what I think is best. I would like to think that it's not about the ego and about the individual, but it is about like, here's what we need to do. Here's the best thing for the team. Um, and either I get it, like, I don't believe what we're doing is best for the team. And I think there's clear arguments Russ could make that like what the coaches were doing or whatever. For example, the offensive line stuff. I agree. Like, I think the front office made a absolutely awful strategic decision. And it talked about in there that they decided that free agent offensive linemen are way overpriced and we're not going to fall into that. Well, guess what? How did that work out for you? So like, I think those were points that I would have been like, yeah, Russ, like, you're right. I, I get it. But that was not the dominant part of the story for us. It was more, I was pissed because it felt like Pete was trying to like taking a chance away from me to win MVP. And that matters. MVP is important. I'm like, I don't give two shits about MVP. Who's the only MVP we've ever had in Seattle? Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander. Do you know who else gets like booze when he comes into the stadium and he never did anything anything other than he ran out of bounds and avoided contact but that guy is the only mvp we've ever had and he got booed and he didn't win a super bowl so like i could give two shits about an mvp that does not make you anything in my mind Mm -hmm. other than if he had done that and been able to take this team to the super bowl and won a ring without the same supporting cast he had then it would matter then it's like okay you're that guy you're that dude I don't think he's proved that he's that guy. I think that, oh God, Seahawks fans are going to hate this comparison. So I'm really sorry. But if you look, I'm going to say the words Tom Brady. So don't yell at me, Seahawks fans on Twitter. I don't hear it. But if you look back over the years at Tom Brady, he was very team driven. Yes, he had his own thing, but the way he took his contracts, the way he they did things, they were always um, able to kind of work with the team. And yeah, he was the superstar of the league. And honestly, he probably deserves that. Um, but I think that he wasn't necessarily accolades driven. And that could have been because he won all the time. And so it didn't matter so much. But for us to be so focused on MVP instead of trying to figure out how to win more Super Bowls, I just think that there's a difference between the attitudes there. And once again, it's easy to have an attitude if you're winning all the time, you know, that it's your team driven, but I'm just saying it feels a little different to me. Um, and that's too bad. And, and because I think that I think Russell as a person is probably a great guy and he does wonderful things for the communities around him. And I think that he is genuinely who he is like him or dislike him. And that's, there's something to be said for that, but it is a little disheartening when we were presented a picture one way and that might not be the way it actually is. Well, I mean, take, take Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's any debate about who is the best quarterback between the two of them? 
how many MVPs does Aaron Rodgers have? He has like a, a wall full of them, right? Like he, he's got a bunch of them. He's got one Super Bowl, one Super Bowl appearance, I think, and and it won that one. But like MVPs do not make like he can't say that you want to be the best that's ever done it, and then make your primary focus around winning an MVP trophy. That's not how it's decided. Like, uh, you know, John Elway, for as great as he was for so many years, he had never won a Super Bowl. It wasn't until he won back-to-back Super Bowls that, you know, he was what he is. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. One of the most amazing quarterbacks to ever play. If he had won four Super Bowls, he would be in the conversation for best to ever do it. Joe Montana, I think, had one-fifth of the arm talent of Dan Marino, but the guy won ring after ring. So, I don't know. Like, having grown up playing a lot of sports, like, it is it is so built into sports culture, team sports culture, that it is about the team, and you... There is no I in team. <laughs> right. You, like, you suppress your own things in order to... And you've been on teams where there's been people that don't do that. And it is frustrating. It's like, I'm... I'm giving up an opportunity for myself here because I'm trying to do the right thing for the team and you're not. And that does like breed a little bit of contempt. And so it just starts to like flesh out the picture that I think we've all heard about for the past few years um, a little bit more, um, sure. a little bit more. I have a question for you. Okay. If we can move away from Russ for just a little yes. bit. I mean, it includes him too. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Nathaniel Hackett. I'm okay. fascinated to figure out what type of head coach he's going to be and what he's going to bring to the table. So obviously he comes from in Green Bay. So it's very quarterback centric, which I'm sure appealed very much to Russell, but a completely different type of quarterback. I mean, you cannot compare the styles of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And he was so offensively minded. He now has to come in and work with a team that has a brand new quarterback who he's letting run the show by all means. We have read that over and over and over again, what Russ wants, Russ gets but a defense that needed help. And yeah, they brought in Randy Gregory, who's still questionable for the game, by the way. Um, and, you know, has been around for a minute. They brought in some pieces. I still have no idea if Hackett is going to be able to come in and run a complete team. I think it's going to be fascinating. We won't know that. We just won't until, until we see more from that group. Like what happened in Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers was, you know, going the wrong direction in a lot of different statistics and his level of play and the team's overall level of play. And when the, the Packers, you know, brought in their new head coach and with him brought in a new offensive coordinator, the story, so it was told, is they were finally able to get Aaron Rodgers to play a different style than what he had been playing for years. And that involved um, you know, relying a lot on the running game and taking a little bit more of what um, was given. And there's a fair amount of screen game in what um, Green Bay did. And I'm not sure, like, that does not sound like we're going to do everything Russell likes to do, which is what they've been talking about. What Russell likes to do is he loves to play action pass. He likes to throw deep. Um, 
He likes to roll out. He likes to do quick game. I think the main thing we're going to see that's like what Russ wants is going to be hurry up. I think they're going to come out playing with pace. I think they're going to do it a lot. And that's one of the things I'm fascinated to see whether or not that bites them in the ass because we've saw it. Hurry up offense. If you go out three and out, man, that is tough on your defense to do that time and again. So I, I am really interested uh, to see like exactly how much of this is Nathaniel Hackett and his offense versus how much of it is Russ's pet plays. And we've watched him long enough. I know Russ's favorite plays pretty well. I'm going to recognize. We'll know right away. We'll know. We'll know. Yeah. We'll know. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, and I, I think you're right. You cannot assume that just because Nathaniel Hackett uh, did something with Aaron Rodgers that the same thing's going to happen with Russell They're just Wilson. so different. They're just so different. Their skill sets are so different. I don't even know. Well, I mean, great, great point there is for the run game. Do you know how often Aaron Rodgers is at the line checking to the run or to the pass uh, to the left or to the right, picking up where the pressure's coming from, throwing away from the blitzes. Uh, he is maybe the best, one of the best. He's right up there with Tom Brady in terms of pre-snap diagnosis and reads and adjusting the plays. Like I watch him as much as he drives me nuts for a lot of other reasons. The amount of times that he knows exactly what he get, he's going to get before he gets the ball and the ball's coming out before the defense can finish whatever they were trying to do and there's someone wide open. People think it's just like this amazing arm talent. He's so accurate, great arm, all this stuff. He makes the game easier for himself and for his team because he finds guys that are just going to naturally be open. And it's not coaching. That's him. Russell has never been that guy. He's not the worst at it. But he is nowhere close, nowhere close to Aaron Rodgers when it comes to to that stuff. So I am curious, like, is he going to be thrown into tight coverage like he always does? Or is he going to be finding, like, open players? That'll be super interesting. Um, so teaser for folks that are going to stick around. I know, Dana, it's late for you. You may have to drop off. But... Uh, Jeff Simmons sent me a text. He is madly driving home, breaking all sorts of Canadian speed records. He finished his softball game and wants to jump, jump on Talk Hawks. I told him I'd stick around. So we will be doing an extra long Real Hawk Talk tonight. Um, Dana, um, assuming you need to take a break from podcasting for a little while. What? People aren't uh, sick of the fourth hour of Dana this week. <laughs> I I want to uh, give you the opportunity to uh, to say good night, and uh, uh, we will talk again um, soon. And we will be both of us will be like anxiously waiting to see what this game looks. And like. And when we're done talking about Russ, we get to turn around and start talking about the 49ers. How much fun will that be? <laughs> oh my gosh, this season! Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be in New York next week. And with my, uh, my, my company, I work with there and I'm going to be dealing with questions the entire week. Like if they, if they lose this game, oh my God, the amount of questions I'm like, why did you guys get rid of Russell Wilson? And like, it's going to be really nasty. Thank you, Dana. (laughs) Have a a great rest of your night. Bye-bye. That is Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter, the queen of podcasts. She, yes, she is now on uh the the field goals podcast um and we 
we share Dana. Uh, she's on the Our Turf podcast, which is something she started with a bunch of other folks. Uh, Dana's great. Um, she's going to continue to be part of the show, and uh, you know, it's going to be a, a fun season as things continue to progress. Uh, while we have a few minutes before Jeff joins, I'd be happy to take questions from the chat if people have any. Um, and uh, outside of that, I want to talk about a couple of other things. Um, <laughs> Josh is asking me if people are curious what I do for work since leaving Adobe. I will take a minute to, to share about that. Not too long. Um, for people that don't know, I took a year off after I worked for 24 years at Adobe doing all sorts of uh, jobs um, there and really missed working with a team and, you know, helping to build teams and, and do a bunch of stuff there. And so I wanted to find a for-profit social impact company. And I did. It's called Propel, not like the sports water. Um, it is a fintech startup based out of Brooklyn, New York, and we help low-income Americans uh, find jobs, save money, manage their government benefits, and just help their overall financial wellness. So uh, it's a really, really cool uh, job. It's been amazing meeting a lot of people that are super smart and super mission driven. And we're trying to find a way to both make money, which we're doing pretty well uh, at right now, and make an impact socially with people that are in low income situations. So uh, really, really cool opportunity. And if you want to learn more about Propel, let me know. I'm happy to, uh, to share more. Um, feel free to go to the website. So that is, uh, that is more than I usually share about my professional life and perfectly timed. Um, uh, Jeff Simmons has joined Jeff at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How did the, how did the softball game go, dude? Uh, we oh, you cut out. You hear me now? Yes. Uh, my microphone changed to my the good mic you got me. Nice. So yeah, we we lost in the uh, sixth inning of the, the playoffs. So no more no more softball. It's now football season. This oh it, that was like the last winner. game. Yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. That's it's that's all right. A- it's all right. I the if we won this game, I was gonna have to potentially miss Thursday night football next week. Dude. And it's Chargers against Chiefs. So pretty good result in the end. <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, before you came on, I offered to take some questions from chat and you just heard me answering one, but um, uh, there was a question for us, um, for Brian and Jeff. Uh, this comes from the New American Underground. Doesn't the linebacker situation scare you? How long before we bring some folks in? Uh, I'll start. I know, Brian, you've talked about this as much as anyone. Uh, they're playing with fire here. They have, if Jordan Brooks gets hurt and he's such an important, they have nothing. It's going to be Cody Barton and Belor. So to me, depth is a big important way of how you evaluate a roster. And even we don't know how good this is Barton's first time. He's going to get expanded playing opportunity and he's shown mixed things at best. So I don't, I don't know if they're waiting for the wire or they're just playing with fire here or they have something else up their sleeve, but as like a, someone who grew up like following roster building, to me, that is a maybe the biggest domino that can break their whole team. If Jordan Brooks gets hurt, they are screwed inside linebacker and their defense relies on middle field coverage. So to me, it's playing with fire. Yeah. And the other question that's a follow-up to that was how it, and this comes from Andrew McRae 100. How would you feel about 
the defense if they replace Barton, Barton with Blake Martinez. Um, I want to hear your answer to this, but like Blake Martinez is a name I brought up. Uh, I was interested in following what was going on. He is an inside linebacker. He's a guy that played for the Packers. He started there and had some pretty good years there, had a good first season in New York, had a down season last year and as a free agent now. Um, he's, you know, he's a young dude. He's only 28 right now. And I would feel more comfortable with him on the roster than without him. Um, I don't know that he's like the answer to anything, but I'm certainly, I'm not sure that Cody Barton is, or I'm pretty sure he isn't the answer um, to it. So that that's kind of my take. I don't think he's a panacea, but I'd like to see him on the team. Yeah. It's just having an extra body there to me who can not the, again, he's not the answer. He's not going to change the alter, like the ceiling of the team, but Again, one injury, they, when you're looking at rosters, you're supposed to look at like Jenga pieces. I mean, if you pull the Jenga piece out, the whole thing falls apart. Yep. Right now, it's just Jordan Brooks. And having Blake Martinez who could step in is like super valuable. And you remember some of the years the Seahawks were great. Like guys like Malcolm Smith came in and played. And Russell Kung missed a big part of their Super Bowl season. And they didn't fall off a cliff. And if Jordan Brooks gets hurt or Cody Barton isn't good, they just don't have an answer right now. So Martinez... He's probably a better run player than middle of the field coverage player at this point of his career. But again, to me, to have a body that can come in and step in and play, I, I don't really understand their plan there. And some years we can kind of see these things happen before they do almost and talk to a pass rush and corner and center, things like that. And this to me is the glaring one. They have a lot of draft picks next year. Everyone's focusing on quarterback. They're going to need to upgrade that spot too. Do you think there's a chance that Cody Barton ends up playing like, 10 snaps like is there a chance that they're going to be dominantly three safety looks and jamal adams is essentially the other inside backer that might be it because i can't make sense of what they're doing a linebacker so maybe that's their counter to it and josh jones was really one of the stars of camp he basically pushed marquis blair off the squad and he's more of a middle of the field coverage player and people forget he was a second round pick a couple of years ago he's not out of the out of the blue guy, he was a high profile. It just didn't work in Green Bay. So uh, that wouldn't be a much more logical answer where you have Jamal Adams play more of a linebacker role and you can focus on coverage and you can mix a lot of things up. And if that was the case in the first game, I wouldn't be upset if Barton was more of your third linebacker. That's a more logical plan. Yeah, I, I am curious to see how that plays out. I'm also curious, like nickel corner, we didn't talk as much about that because there were so many things going haywire for the Seahawks in preseason and, and other things we were paying attention to, but Justin Coleman was awful. And I'm assuming he's going to be the starting nickel. I mean, did, do you, are you worried about him? Like, give me a sense of how worried you are about Justin Coleman relative to the other corner spots. Let's assume that it's Tariq Woolen and Sidney Jones at the other corner spots. Uh, far more worried. Um, I'm more, I think you said this to us yesterday. I want to throw the young guys into the fire. I'd rather Justin Coleman not play. And I don't know if there was just true preseason or Coleman was playing things out, but what happens with cornerbacks a lot of the time is once they lose their first step, it's not like other positions where there's like, a steady decline. Once you lose that first step, you kind of fall off a cliff. And like that happened to Darrell Revis, where just one day he couldn't run anymore. 
And that's what made Sherman amazing. Once he lost his speed, he was able to still play because of his, how good his mind was and how long his arms were. And if Justin Coleman can't run and be that quick defender, he's going to be a problem. So I'd rather see Kobe Bryant kind of live with his ups and downs. That's sort of my whole view of the season. But if Coleman comes in, sucks. At least they have somewhere to go. I would start Kobe Bryant. Uh, maybe it's a little different because of how bad they probably want to win this game. But to me, like to, I'd much rather see Kobe Bryant out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I should logically be more concerned about Tariq Woolen than I am. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of silly to not be worried about a rookie corner going into regular season and going up against Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy and what that's going to look like. That could be bad. But my instinct, based on what I've seen of Woolen, is I think he's going to give up some plays. I think he's going to get his own too. Like I think he's going to make some plays if they if they continue to test him. That's my guess. I'm, I could end up being completely wrong, as we were famously, infamously before. What was it? The 2020 season or 2019 season when we thought like after they traded for the the corner from the Redskins, well, what was formerly the Redskins, now the Washington football team, and now the Commanders. Forgot about Dunbar. Dunbar, Quentin Dunbar. Um, anyway, but yeah, I think Nichols is a real question mark. I think that plus Cody Barton are the two biggest question marks. I don't, I think you and I are like some of the few that have more confidence in these outside corners. I think Mike Jackson's a totally acceptable outside corner. I think Tariq Woolen is going to prove to be that or better. I think Sidney Jones is above average. And I think that Artie Burns will turn out to be above average as well. I think the, I think the corner positions are good, like outside are going to be pretty good. Yeah. And the national perception of the Seahawks is they have the worst cornerback room in the NFL. I know Mike Clay does a position ranking across the league. I think he had them 32. I just look at it differently. I think it's, they have guys who can comfortably play up and down the group. And if you remember us talking about the cornerback group last year, it looked like a tire fire going into the season. And to me, they got five guys who can probably play and who I'd be interested in watching play more importantly. And when I saw the cornerback group yesterday, like I wasn't shook. Like I'm totally fine. This is what this year is about to me. It's developing. So if it's Michael Jackson and Tariq Wool and throw them into the fire. How so one of the things we haven't talked about um, even prior to you coming on a little bit, I brought up when I started breaking down the Broncos and the matchups in this game this morning, writing uh, the tail of tape. One of the first things I looked at was the Broncos pass rush. And it's going to be the first game for the Seahawks offensive line. These rookie tackles. We saw Charles cross deal with his first home game by getting five penalties and four false starts. And like, who knows, like it could be, it could be rough. And, you know, it would be logical for it to be a little rough for those guys. But what I saw was a team that had Von Miller, then didn't. You could argue that basically Randy Gregory replaced Von Miller. Randy Gregory has been injured and had six sacks last year and has been mercurial at, you know, at best. Um, they lost Shelby Harris, who was their best interior pass rusher. They replaced him with DJ Jones, who's solid, but you know he is what he is. Uh, you got Bradley Chubb who was super high pick his first year. He had 12 sacks. 
then he dealt with injuries then he had like seven and a half and then he had zero last year and played only like six or seven games uh, and when he did play was not particularly effective is this broncos pass rush something to like fear is this is this a good pass rush where would you where, where do you kind of rate this pass rush i'm right with you i know we keep it green but i don't get it i don't get what the hype is because you look at the afc west Let's go through it. The Raiders have Crosby and Chandler Jones. The Chargers have Bosa and Khalil Mack. And the Chiefs have Carlos Dunlap, Clark, Chris Jones. To me, these guys are like clear fourth in the division. And I think they're average at best. And Bradley Chubb was a top five pick, but he's mostly been a compliment to Vaughn Miller. He's never really been the number one pass rusher. And Randy Gregory, he's been a real up and down player his best year in his contract year, which uh, that's all the, usually a red flag. And there's a lot of questions there. I don't think they're that different from the talent standpoint in Seattle is. And they're going to have to prove it. I think it's a, a lot of guys who are new in new roles. And I am not scared of that front four as much as other parts of their team. And to me, that's the biggest thing. And everyone talks about Denver, like they have the Super Bowl talent roster. I'm just not there. And they lost Vic Fangio too. I know you touched on that in your article. I don't think that's being talked about. I know he's a, not a great head coach, but he, he ran a very good defense. Yeah. I mean, that defense took a noticeable step forward when he took over every defense he's ever taken over has taken a noticeable step forward and it's taken steps back when he's moved on. So I don't think we know what we're going to get from that defense. And I don't think it is star studded by any stretch. Jeff, if you could choose, you know, objectively as you can, you're usually pretty good about this. Which pass rush do you feel like, um, how, how would you compare and contrast the Seahawks pass rush to the Broncos pass rush? Uh, I think the Seahawks have better depth. I think there's, more interesting guys throughout the roster. I don't know if Boye Mafe and Alton Robinson, but they probably have the most talented player. Probably Bradley Chubb was a top five pick. But really, I think with Denver, it's really just two guys. They have their best interior player is DJ Jones, who's more of a like two down early down player. He can rush. He's ran over one of the Seahawks centers a couple of years ago. I can't remember. I think it was Joey Hunt, but multiple times. Yeah. But I think Seattle has better depth. I think really Seattle's just lacking that game record. And I don't know if Daryl Taylor can take the next step. I don't know if Daryl Taylor is more how I describe Chubb. So this is a really interesting year because I think the Seahawks have really good complementary rushers, but they're missing that one blue chipper. And I really think Denver is sort of in the same boat. So I think Denver is slightly better just because their top guy just has proven it more at this level. But I don't think it's that far off. People talk about Seattle, like their pass rush is a, like for me, like this is exactly the kind of group you want in the development year where you want to see can Daryl Taylor kind of take the next level? What is uh, Chenna Nuosu going to do? Is Boya Mafe a player at this level? Like in the development year, you got three interesting young players. To me, that's pretty good. Well, and not only that, but I think the interior rush for the Seahawks is significantly better than, than what Denver is going to bring to the table. I think Shelby Harris, I think Seahawks fans are going to be really happy to see what he brings. This guy has been a super disruptive presence in the middle. I joke about Quinn Jefferson and I mean it like that guy, 
my biggest issue with him is that I think he's overvalued, but um, he creates havoc in the middle. He just usually misses the tackle, which drives me crazy. But um, I think those two inside bring something. I think Puna Ford has brought a little bit from a pass rush perspective. Um, Brian Monet actually brought a little bit from a pass rush perspective. I don't think Hal Woods is much of a pass rusher, but, you know, I think interior pass rush really matters. And I think the Seahawks have more interesting pieces on the interior than they've had for years. God, is LJ Collier going to do anything inside? I don't think so. Um, would Miles Adams potentially do something inside? Maybe. Like, maybe they'll both be not even active, but who knows? Like, there's a lot of interesting depth on the inside of that Seahawks line that could end up being productive pass rushers. Daryl Taylor, it is totally legitimate to have the over-under for sacks for him at, at double digits. Like, it would not be shocking if Daryl Taylor goes for 12 sacks this year. Um, I think he could. I think he's going to be the, the featured rusher. He could also go for seven. Like, it, it's definitely there's a variance there, but... I think if I was betting, I you know I'm bet on the over potentially there, and and then I think we just have to see what comes on the other side. That's where the biggest question is, and who knows. Um, plus, the other thing I did bring up earlier, I'm curious thoughts is like Jamal Adams has been one of the best blitzers ever, and did not get to be really used that way. There's blitzing options that the Seahawks can bring to bear that they really couldn't um, before. Yeah, his the way they use him is one of the more interesting things I'm going to be watching all year because it's one of the things Clint Herb talked about is how they have to maximize him and have to use him creatively. And one of the things that drove, I know me and you and probably some of the other guys crazy, is just how obvious his pass rush looks were with Ken Norton. And I can see it watching on my TV, so I can imagine any quarterback. And he got zero sacks <laughs> last year. So it, it was one of the things that drove me absolutely nuts about Ken Norton. Just he would walk up to the edge – Everyone watching the game knew exactly what he was doing. And like when Greg Williams had him going and Todd Bowles, like they were throwing him from all different angles. And that's when he was an all pro player. And it's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest factors of what can make their defense go from good to great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you bring up Ken Norton. We haven't talked about him enough. He was so bad, Jeff. I hate it. I couldn't stand watching him. He was so bad. Just his absence elevates this defense. Like, Clint Hurt doesn't have to be Vic Fangio or, you know, the next great defensive coach. He just has to not be Ken Norton. Yeah, he was He was just as dull as it got. Milk toast. I know a lot of people talked about his, like, schematic changes. But – there's just something about him that I just couldn't get behind. I don't know if it was his lack of creativity or lack of development in players. And one of the things that Brady Henderson talked about, and something that we haven't really talked about is Brady's talked about this a lot. Apparently one of the big drivers of young players not playing in the last couple of years was Ken Norton. And he was very reliant on, yeah, it was in the article today, very reliant on veteran players and he was comfortable with guys he knew, and it's probably why Bobby and KJ played so long and they loved them. And you see now their team and how just different it looks. They got a bunch of young players playing, and hopefully we see a little more development. Because if you look about it, like there hasn't really developed a lot of consistent players on defense. And I wonder how much of that was Ken Norton. Well, 
And DJ Reed on his way out, even before his way out, but there was conversation in that locker room by the corners that they didn't like the coverage that was being called. Trey Flowers was one of the guys that said it, so no one took him seriously because Trey Flowers was bad at football. But there was a belief that the corners were being asked to play off off coverage a lot and not press a lot. And that, that meant that the defense was somewhat more passive than it had been in the past. And Clint Hurt talked about that when he was hired. He talked about the fact that we're going to be an aggressive defense. He talked about rolling up the corners. He talked about getting after the quarterback. I hope that wasn't just bluster. Like, I want to see six foot four, you know, 70,000 inch arm Tariq Woolen pressing at the line of scrimmage and, and, being physical at the line of scrimmage and using his 4-2 speed to catch up if the guy gets behind him. So I will, t- I don't know about you, Jeff, like I can handle it. I won't be happy, but I can handle it if they get beat and if they give up some plays. But I almost would want to, I'd rather see some of those plays getting behind them then see a bunch of short shit that they're not like playing close on or third and six and being eight yards off and giving them first downs. Like that's the stuff that drives me batty. Yeah. I just watched them the last three years. It just seemed like teams completed the ball in those third downs so easily. And they went away from dictating the game. And I know Clint Hurt came out and that was a lot of what he talked about. And as a defensive line coach, it probably drove him a little crazy too. And I know the way that Vic Fangio's defenses have played have just looked differently than that. And really when Seattle was at its peak under this regime, they really dictated play on defense and they really haven't been to that. They've been more passive. They've been trying to win in the red zone, more bend, don't break. I hated watching that. I want to see them be aggressive and try to make plays. And it's probably why their turnovers were so down the last few years because they were just trying to let things in front of them. What do you think, what are you expecting to see in the chess match between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks defense? Are you expecting Russell, let's say this, like, are you expecting Russell to look significantly different um, with Nathaniel Hackett and with this new team? I'm not. I think it's going to look very similar. And maybe I'm completely wrong. I think there'll be a lot of what he likes to do. I think there'll be a lot of tempo and hurry up and throwing down the field, but I don't think because even I think there's going to be more of a transition than what he thinks. Like you look at some of the best quarterbacks who have switched teams. I know they've won a lot and Stafford transitioned really smoothly, but Brady and uh, Aaron Rodgers with new coaching. It took Rodgers a full season basically and took Brady basically the whole year. And I think those guys mentally are just way ahead of where Russell is. And I think there's just going to be growing pains and I don't think he'll hit the ground running. I think it's going to look, a little similar, though. The play calls will be a little different. They probably won't run as much on early downs. They'll probably do more of what how Russell wants to play the games. But I think Russell's skill set is just pretty obvious. And in a way, it's limiting. But he, he's good at what he's good at. And he's great at what he's great at. So I'm not expecting to look different. I'll take the L if he comes out and lights the world on fire. And it was the Seahawks holding him back. I'm not expecting that to happen. I think he's going to take his sacks. I think he's going to hit his big plays. I think he's going to spin out of stuff, make some plays, but I think it's going to be similar to the ups and downs you saw the last couple of years where he still has his great moments, but there's moments where you just can't get the third downs going. And 
it's going to be so fascinating to see if I'm completely wrong or if the Seahawks were wrong or if we actually have been holding it back this whole time. It will. It, it will. So um, you were not here when I shared. We, we already did some picks. And um, after doing my tail of the tape and actually looking at the, the matchups here, I, I flipped. I changed my prediction even in the prediction sheet. I'm picking the Seahawks to win this game. And I am curious uh, where you're at um, as we're getting closer to this game. Who are you picking? What's the score? I'm still picking Denver, unfortunately. I hope I'm wrong. I think it will be a close game. I'm going to say 23-17. I just think there's going to be a big of a learning curve for Seattle, but I think the formula is there. The recipe is there to win. Like week one, number one is like, it's a strange week every year. I don't think it's as crazy. I don't think the two teams are far off talent wise as people make it out to be. I think the teams are far closer outside of quarterback and probably the number one corner than it's made out to be. I think the rosters are pretty similar. And I think Pete and the defense are going to know how to play Russell. I think that's going to be an asset, but I still, at the end of the day, I just, the better quarterback usually wins the game. And I just, I, I don't like, I know what Gino is. The thing that Gino isn't great at is kind of winning the game in the fourth quarter. And really that's, if there was just a slightly better quarterback, I would pick Seattle because yeah. I think they match up very well against him. I think Russell's going to have to turn over the ball for them to lose. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, my instinct is that there's going to be, there's going to be at least one pick. Um, uh, for the, for the Seahawks in this game. And yeah, I think turnover, turnovers will play a pretty meaningful role and the hope is that, that it'll, it'll go in the Seahawks direction. Um, all right, uh, Jeff, anything else you wanted to cover? Um, I know you're coming on here at the end, but uh, happy to stick around if there's any other topics you wanted to cover before we, uh, we let folks go. Did you read that article today from Brady? I did. I, I had to kind of like scan it. I didn't read every little bit, but I read, I read a decent chunk of it. It was, uh, yeah, I read it. It was, it was just fascinating to me to see like completely different takes from the different people that read it. And I know like where Evan went with it, like he used it to just confirm his priors. I was watching like a national radio show in Toronto or in Canada, all of Canada. And all the guys were, they're all former uh, pro athletes. They were blasting Wilson. Like it was fascinating to see because just hearing from our side, everyone's kind of making fun of the Drew Locke stuff. You know, Pete pissed off Russell. They wouldn't stop bashing Russell for being upset. Like he didn't have his MVP stats in the game they won. And these were all former pro athletes. So it was interesting. Their takeaway after reading that was just that Russell is way more concerned about himself than the team. And kind of seeing those quotes from Schneider where I think it was from Schneider, the front office where they were like, are we trying to win the games? Or are we trying to make Russell the MVP? Like I couldn't get that quote out of my head, but then I go online and I see everyone else saying <laughs> the Seahawks screwed this thing up. And so I found that really fascinating just to see the completely different sides of that, where I get why this thing broke up. And I kind of get where we got to the point last year, we were ready to move on. And it kind of reemphasized that. And I'm kind of happy that they're dipping into this new year. I think this year will be challenging. But that article, I think Dana said the same thing today. This, that article almost reemphasized that I'm kind of happy this thing has moved on and moved forward. Is this yeah. the culture I would want? I don't know, but <laughs> that's a story for another day. 
Yeah, that's a different that's a different part of it. I, for folks that, that hadn't seen it, if you go to Brady Henderson's uh, Twitter um, account he, on ESPN.com, you can also find it there. Pretty big expose feature article on the the divorce between Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and and the Seahawks, and it went into multiple years of history of how things developed, and. We talked about this a little bit before you jumped on, Jeff, but like I asked Dana because one of my takeaways was like, wow, Russell was and his 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 crew was pretty unabashed in just saying that they wanted an MVP trophy. And it was like, whoa, like, that was like all these pro hockey players who were on the show were like really taken back by that. I think that's what we were talking about. I was talking with Dana, like. If you've played team sports, like the notion of someone putting their own awards as like, even if like secretly, like you obviously you want to you want to play well enough to get recognition and respect. Like, I think that's just a given and you're not a bad person or a bad teammate for that. But it's just generally frowned upon to like talk about it, to talk about individual accolades over team accomplishments and and, you know, Maybe that's the new generation. Maybe that's that's a someone will argue that that's totally fine, but it definitely like left a bitter taste in my mouth um, reading that stuff. It was that plus the other thing that was interesting in that article. That I, I thought a lot of it was not new news, but the, uh, part of it that was is that there was a bit of a divide in the Seahawks organization. There were some coaches that thought Russell was going to be able to adjust and continue to be a prolific, you know, top quarterback. There's a lot of folks in the Seahawks organization that felt like he was a declining player and a lot of folks outside the organization that thought he was a declining player and specifically brought up, is he going to become a more consistent pocket passer who's willing to check down when his deep passes aren't open which has been my primary like one of my primary frustrations with russ he's shown no signs of that that's one of the things to watch for with with the new team yeah yeah it's to me like that's i almost going to be more like fired up watching denver and cheering against them to lose this year than arguably watching seattle games i think if people are like unenthused or kind of down right now. I know I could tell just from the energy of some people, if you want energy for this season and it's not the Russell thing, I don't care how you feel about Russell. You could love Russell. You could hate Russell. We have the Denver pick next year. So Seattle's future in large way will be impacted by how Denver does this year. So if you need some like energy or enthusiasm every Sunday, like go put on your TV and cheer against Denver. They play in the hardest division in the league and, I was thinking about putting an article of like different ways how you can kind of get through the season and enjoy it. And that's one of them. Another one, I don't know if you could, I, I, I don't usually watch a lot of college football. I follow the prospects like in December. I watched, I was following like some of the top guys all day. I know last year's draft, if you remember it, like it was kind of weak at the top and like Trayvon Walker went number one and Seattle ended up doing pretty well. It looks like with cross, but this coming draft, is really exciting. And the thing is, it's another thing for Seahawks fans to probably target. A, they got two first rounders and two second rounders. There are a lot of quarterbacks and there's a lot of blue chip defensive players. So the probably that they can hit on two, their two biggest organizational needs right now to me are 
a quarterback and a game wrecker on defense. And all the guys, there was a guy from Florida, the quarterback who like emerged, he looks like a potential like Cam Newton type guy. But there's a lot of interesting guys that if Seattle can be in the right spot here, this thing could turn around quick because it looks like they hit a home run in this last draft by finding the strength of it. And Brian, you've talked about that for years. Coming out of that draft with two tackles and potentially two corners. To me, if they can do that and throw that along with two like blue chip players in the next one, they're going to be good quick. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I will be I will be pretty happy if we're able to watch like the first game in the preseason against the Steelers, perfect example. They lost that game in a, an embarrassing fashion, right? Like wasn't it Locke that like didn't pick up a blitz and as soon as the Seahawks had recovered the ball, then he gave it right back. Like it was a humiliating way to lose a game, right? I was so encouraged. I was so energized by that game because of the way Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross played and where that, that offensive line in general played, the way the running game looked, they put up 180 yards or whatever it was. If this team, like you and I have talked about it a million times, 2011 ended with Marshawn Lynch destroying Ray Lewis, you know, in a game against Baltimore late in that season after they figured out how to run the ball effectively. They became like that was Richard Sherman came on in that season, Brandon Browner. They started finding out who they were. That's what we're looking for, you know? And so what I don't want to see Jeff is just abject failure where it's like, false starts on offense holding calls like discombobulated plays uh you know running into the line and getting like a yard and then another yard and then third and eight and a sack like i don't want to see that yeah um but like a guy that we i have been as hard on as anybody d eskridge for all we know it is not at all unreasonable it is not like even unlikely that he ends up being a, a productive, dangerous weapon for this offense that we have no idea about. Yeah. Like they, they stopped using him on jet sweeps last year because he had a concussion and they, ne- they never brought him back. He never did punt returns. We're not gonna have to watch Freddie Swain do punt returns. Thank God. So like, I think there's a lot of parts to this team that we're assuming is gonna be awful. And we picked it to be that way. And it might be. But I think you and I just want to see evidence of growth and progress and building blocks start to be put in place. Yeah. And really, the over-unders for this team are like five and a half, six wins. I haven't seen anyone yet pick them to make the playoffs. I've read, I read all that stuff. I, I still haven't found anyone yet. I did see one guy pick Pete Carroll to be a coach of the year candidate. So it's, it's, and it's the same guy who likes Gino at the ring. So there's something there, but yeah, really, I don't care how many games they win this year. I care if they're setting up and building towards 2023. And I think the tackles might struggle at first. I think it's all, it's very different to go against backups to play Bosa and Hutchison and Cam Jordan and all these guys week after week after week. But if by the third, fourth quarter of the year, this team's starting to come together and starting to see pieces that you can kind of move forward with. To me, that's a win more than anything. I don't, I don't care if they win the games. This is the only game like I really want to win. And like you've been covering the way Denver's talking about it. Oh my God. It would be so much fun for that one week just to clown on them. It I, don't know if it's, 
but they, they're talking like they're Super Bowl favorite. I think they're stealing as a first round. We'll see, but I don't see them as, which is hilarious because that's the same thing that drove everyone crazy about Russell in Seattle. So I see that Denver in the exact same spot. I see them as like the eighth best team in the AFC. It'll be so interesting to see how that goes. I'm with you, Jeff. I'm with you. Um, on that front, I'm going to let uh, folks go. Um, we've had a wonderful couple of hours of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, if you haven't already, give the show a like. Please click subscribe. Uh, click the bell to get notified when we go live. By the way, get some five-star reviews on either wherever you listen to this podcast, Spotify, uh, Apple, the Apple podcast, um, Google Play, all those places. Um, love to get five-star reviews. If you're going to give less than a five-star review, pause and let us know why. Give us some feedback. But otherwise, love to see some five-star reviews in the app stores. And uh, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up, get to be part of the club, immediate access to the Slack channel, get to talk to other good Seahawks fans. And like I said earlier, it's all the good Seahawks talk with none of the bullshit you get on Twitter. So um, highly recommend it. It's a really cool community and the proceeds go to a good place. So thank you, Jeff. Sorry for your early playoff exit. It is a Russell Wilson-esque end to your season. We are sorry for that, but it's okay. It is the beginning. It is the beginning of the 2022 Seahawks season. You have to wait a little bit tomorrow night starts with Thursday night football. Uh, and we'll see how hopefully the Bills just wallop the Rams. That would be really fun. That'd be a great way to start the year. I know. Until then, we will hopefully do a post-game show Monday night. Depends on how late we are able to get things up and running, but uh, that is the plan, so tune in for that. Otherwise, take care and uh, go Hawks.